0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio
1: all right folks welcome welcome TFI Fridays thank you for joining us here at TNT today's news talk Patrick Kenningson, your host we've got a fantastic program as usual today uh, we're going to be joined in the first hour by former uh, British MP Chris Williamson and Chris has got something to say he's got uh, quite a few things to say especially regarding uh the situation in Gaza the British government's orientation uh towards this issue increasingly precarious of course Uh, And then geopolitics in general, we're going to weigh in on all that in the first hour, Chris Williamson, what an amazing guest we've had uh, on the program in the past. Uh, We look forward to a great conversation again this week. Uh, And in the second hour, we'll be joined uh, for analysis, breaking news with Basil Valentine at the top. Of the second hour and then later we'll join our legal correspondent in new york city matthew russell lee on the ground in the federal courts in new york covering the trump trial the latest e Jean carroll versus donald trump there's a whole lot more in the docket uh, a lot of inside baseball a lot of new uh breaking revelations matthew will share with us in the second hour as usual that's going to be a pretty gripping and entertaining segment I expect it to be now uh before we get to our first guest and move over into that Middle East topic and uh, how the politics has infected Europe um, it's a huge liability talk to Chris about that um already is becoming an issue uh in in Brussels and it took a while but uh the EU is a kind of slow to the punch as it were but on the issue of ukraine while they might be folding on uh, uh, gaza the the europeans might capitulate eventually because the people in those countries just they're not having it uh but on the issue of ukraine uh the leadership in europe are still as gung-ho as ever and just as hungary eu member nato member hungary led by Viktor orban current prime minister there uh they do not want to fund the war in Ukraine, so they, you know, not supporting it, voting it down at every turn. Okay, what does the EU do, but to vote to suspend voting rights and participation rights of the member state Hungary? So, if if a EU member state doesn't want to support uh, a, proc, uh, a U.S. and British proxy war against Russia in Ukraine. If they don't want to support that any eu member state, um, they can basically be suspended uh, from the EU uh, parliament or or the EU decision-making process. Okay. That's exactly what they're doing. And Guy Herbstarfsson, this nutcase uh, out of Holland, is kind of leading the charge on this. And he's got a very disturbing comb over. If you know about hairstyles historically in the 20th century, you know what I'm talking about. And he's just one posted stamp of a mustache away from something that uh, is totally indistinguishable from you-know-who. So he, he's been leading the charge on this. So not very democratic, the European Union. Not very democratic and increasingly fascistic. And not just in their rhetoric, uh, but also in how they're going about the business of government. So that's more than disturbing. And uh, we perhaps can cover that and discuss it a little more in the second hour. I might ask Basil Valentine about this topic, but it's very disturbing indeed. And it's just kind of indicative of the way things are going in Europe. This, listen, Ukraine, if they continue down this path, Ukraine, that issue, that is going to be the demise of Europe. That is going to be the demise of Europe. And it's not only bankrupting Europe, it's not only uh, accelerating the deindustrialization of Europe, which we spoke about with Marcus Kraus briefly uh, on the program, uh, just, I believe, on Wednesday. Uh, Not only is it doing that, um, but it's also going to put europe into a very difficult corner uh, militarily europe despite all the hype and all the pro- protestations and all the sort of boasting and um making uh, sort of grand statements about their military capability okay uh if you saw jan stoltenberg nato secretary general at davos Um, this week, and he is just stuttering all over the place. Um, uh, uh, well, uh, Russia's losing, uh, but Russia's not winning, but, uh, Ukraine's not losing, you know, I mean, all of these sort of statements. Okay. Europe is not going to be a military powerhouse period ever, ever. If listen, let me put it like this. If you take us assets, United States, if you take their military assets, out of Germany, you take U.S. military assets out of Scandinavia, Norway, Sweden, Finland, okay? You take U.S. military assets out of the United Kingdom, you take U.S. military assets out of Spain, you take U.S. military assets out of Italy, out of Greece. Have I left anyone out? Are there any other U.S. bases that we haven't mentioned? There's more probably. You you take all these assets out and out of Poland, and what does Europe have? It's a hollowed out shell of nothingness. Okay, it it can't even defend itself, much less project power. Okay, and why would it need to defend itself? It wasn't a natural enemy of Russia. Not until the United States started ramping up its activities in Europe, not until the United States over overthrew the government in Ukraine, okay? And then the acceleration towards war began at that point uh, for Europe, okay? So then Europe becomes basically at risk at that point because they're being used as a staging ground for U.S. and British imperial machinations to try to bait Russia into a war. This is exactly what's happened since 2014, pure and simple. The West, the the Anglo-Americans have made their move. They've made their move, and they're going to drag Europe along for the ride. And trust me when I tell you this, there is nobody in Washington, despite what they say, their virtue signaling about their European heritage and their shared values, and they don't care if half of Europe turns into a glass crater in some sort of World War III scenario. They really couldn't give a toss. All U.S. cares about is the U.S. At the end of the day, when push comes to shove, all they care about is their continental United States. They talk about Europe and all the rest of it. If they cared about Europe, they wouldn't be carrying on basically baiting Russia into a third world war consistently and aggressively, really since 2008, if you want to count uh, the... uh, welcoming in, as you as so to speak, of of Ukraine and uh, Georgia into NATO, okay? And then telling uh to basically attack the Russian peacekeeping forces in South of Setia, nearly starting another war there, which the West then says that was Russia attacking Georgia because the West is addicted to lies. And people actually believe these things, they they repeat these things to themselves. I see elected officials in the u s saying when Russia attacked Georgia, okay? It was clearly started by Georgia at the behest of the United States. Everybody knows that who's actually studied it, looked at it, and read the actual reporting, okay? That's just a fact. So Europe's risk, Europe's liability is its relationship to the United States. The U.S., and and with Britain as its partner, okay? America's the brains. Sorry, Britain's the brains, America's the muscle. It is a partnership. Uh, Without without their sort of goading and their military escalation and buildup in Europe, you would not have any tension between Europe and Russia. What you would have is uh, a, a very vibrant market economically, lots of cheap energy for Europe. Um, And probably right now, Germany would just be on the cusp of overtaking another larger country in terms of GDP at the rate Germany was was heading, So, so successful was Germany. It was subsidizing the poorer half of Southern Europe. So successful it was. So that's what happens when you have prosperity. uh, But then the people in Washington, London said, that's enough. That's enough, enough prosperity for Europe. We're going to take you down a peg, and you're going to like it, and you're going to bake, bait. <laughs> you're going to bow and scrape to Washington on this, and that's what the, exactly what they're doing in the political leadership in Sweden, uh, in Finland, in Norway, uh, in the Baltic states, in Poland, in Germany. They are bowing and scraping to the power, the financial and military might of Washington for fear of being counter-sanctioned by Washington. They're not allowed to do any business. They're not allowed to buy any energy from the East, only from the West at a higher price. Ladies and gentlemen, that's called a protection racket. That's what NATO is. That's what Washington's running in Europe. It's very clear. Anybody that's looked at it, honestly, that's what it is. So the facts don't lie. That's what you've been witnessing. This is what we've been talking about for two years. And so when we see uh, people claiming that uh, Sweden, the support for NATO and Sweden's never been more uh, at a higher level than it is now, that's a total lie. Dissent against NATO and Sweden's never been higher right now we had mats Nilsson on the program perhaps we'll get mats on again uh during next week uh to kind of elaborate on this There's this is push to re-promote nato in scandinavia just as it's becoming unpopular people have woken up from their sort of uh big party their their big joining party of nato the excitement of war has worn off in scandinavia and a lot of people are coming to their senses and saying to themselves How on earth did we get in this position? We were never a natural adversary of Russia. What have we done? We've we've made ourselves a target in a thermonuclear war, potentially. How did that happen? Whose idea was that? Ah, London, Washington. They dispatched their emissaries to sell that. Not just sell that, to twist the arms of the Scandinavians to get into NATO. Sweden's not in yet. (laughs) Sweden isn't even in NATO yet. And yet they're being uh, made to uh, uh, prepare for war with Russia before they have their mythical Article 5 protection cloak. What a scam. I didn't realize the Swedes were that dumb. But uh, then again, maybe the people aren't. Not all of them anyway, but definitely the people in the government. I'm not sure what's going on there. We'll have a we have to deploy an EEG uh, machine to check for any activity in Stockholm. Let's take a break right now with TNT today's news talk. I'm Patrick Kenningson, your host. We'll be right back with Chris Williamson. I'm looking forward to this conversation in just a few moments. Stay right there.
0: TNT's Misty Winston.
2: She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago while exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done. And in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one.
0: Misty Winston, on today's News Talk TNT. I'm just gonna do a
2: little voice-up. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing?
0: When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive
2: your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com.
0: Listen. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio,
1: TNT. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. We're still in hour number one this live broadcast. Appreciate you guys coming along for the ride here on Friday. And uh, hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. There's a little red bubble bottom right hand corner of your screen. If you're on the URL through your browser, tntradio.live, that's our chat community. We had 140 people in the live chat yesterday we see those numbers climbing today appreciate you guys in there we've got some great conversations some great links some great mems, and with our chat community at tnt that's where you want to be during this two-hour live broadcast monday to friday uh here on today's news talk now we're going to pivot right now uh, and pivot hard to the Middle East. I want to welcome onto the stage a former British MP with the Labour Party, former Labour MP, and now uh, is a host of a fantastic show, Palestine Declassified, airs on Press TV, but you can watch it on Rumble. We'll talk about that at the end of the programme with Chris Williamson on the line right now. Chris, thank you for joining us this week.
3: Good to be with you, Patrick. Nice to see you.
1: It's great to see you, too. Chris, uh, first off, I want to get your comments because we haven't spoke about The Hague. Uh, and I want to get your comments on what happened last week, the historic significance of it, and also the political significance of it, because I think it's very significant, even though, as many critics will say, Chris, the international courts of justice, whatever decision they render in the interim or down the line long-term, it's not binding as such or not enforceable, but actually it has massive political implications more broadly uh, internationally as well. But uh, your reactions, your thoughts on the developments last week with South Africa.
3: Well, it was a groundbreaking moment, uh, Patrick. In my opinion, there's no doubt uh, about that and I think it's significant that it was South Africa, a country that was uh, uh, plagued by uh, the apartheid regime for many years, and it was uh, you know, South Africa that took the lead in actually taking this really important step. And uh, it's also significant that, that not a single Western country, as far as I'm aware, has actually uh, supported uh, South Africa's uh, bid to hold Israel to account for its genocide that it's perpetrating in Gaza right now. And I think we are seeing uh, perhaps the biggest disconnect between the wider general public in the Western world and the political class. And, uh, you know, this year, there are unprecedented numbers of elections. And I firmly predict that uh, a number of those politicians, I'd like to see all of them, but it probably won't be, but a lot of them will actually twice uh, electorally uh, uh, at those elections certainly in britain uh, i think uh, you know the labor party in particular is is, is losing uh, ground in uh, a lot of uh, constituencies with uh, a significant muslim uh, population so i think they could even though they're riding high in the opinion polls could end up losing ground but what was also i think uh, very telling was the the, the israeli uh, sort of disconnect with uh, with reality i mean it was it was quite astonishing the the uh, the presentation from the uh, israeli side uh, at, at the court and uh, you know the the way in which the the south african uh, team actually put their case it, it was uh, incredibly uh, well presented uh, you know measured um, you know, open and shut case, it seems to me, really, in terms of the way they they put it. And so, not only, in my opinion, is uh, this uh, a situation where you know Israel is on trial for its crimes against humanity, but I think the um, International Court of Justice is also on trial because you know clearly the uh, Israeli regime is uh, committing a a, a genocide uh, as as defined, and. Um, there will be a lot of pressure applied to those judges not to find against Israel, and so I think in that sense, you know, the whole kind of rules-based order uh, is on trial here, and uh, you know, those those judges themselves are as, are as much on trial in a sense. In are they prepared to uphold uh, you know international law, or are they going to uh, uh, you know kowtow to the uh, the US empire?
1: Yes, and uh, you, well, you mentioned Labour Party. Let's actually go straight into that. Um, you know, a lot of politicians, it seems to be lockstep, uh, Chris, if I'm not mistaken, you know, Tories, Labour, Lib Dems. I didn't see anybody really pushing back against Israel uh, when this really sort of kicked off when they began their uh, operations, their serious military operations incurring on Gaza October 13th. Everybody was waiting for some dissent. There didn't seem to be very much um, and I think there was a, a feeling amongst the British uh, political elites that they could weather the storm on this, that they had Israel on their side. It was against the terrorists, Hamas, so to speak, and that they could ride that narrative uh, really to victory. They really believed the IDF was going to just crush the will of the Palestinian people and crush any opposition to what now is being widely regarded globally as a genocide how is that global pressure chris coming to bear on politicians in britain who might be looking at this now chris and saying D- did did we make a huge catastrophic miscalculation politically here by backing israel without any uh uh just categorically backing israel uh, what do you think chris
3: i think they have made a strategic error but they are doubling down and uh you know, they they are they're still not prepared to uh, you know call out the Israeli regime in the way in which they should, and the Labour Party. I mean, it's always been referred to as a broad church, so it's had you know both spectrums of opinion really, from the kind of uh, centre right to to the centre left and and further left, and uh, it's always been a vehicle for the peace movement. There was a very strong uh, peace contingent, if you like, within the. Labour Party I was a member of the Labour Party for 44 years and you know many Labour Party activists many Labour MPs for that matter were, were the backbone of the of the campaign for nuclear disarmament for example when there was a big campaign to stop the United States from from uh citing cruise missiles nuclear tipped cruise missiles in the in the UK uh, but that has gone and you know we, we had a, a the high watermark really in my view for the Labour Party was when Jeremy Corbyn became the leader this was a man who was a a peace activist, an anti-imperialist, a pro-Palestinian campaigner, a very strident critic of the Zionist entity, uh, somebody who's spoken out against uh, imperialism, and uh, as well as, you know, on, on the domestic front, economically, you know, talking about a socialist economic agenda. The, and this was anathema to uh, the establishment in Britain, but it's also turned out to be anathema To uh, a large section of the Labour Party as well, and uh, as a result of that, he was pushed out. Now the Labour Party has completely lost the plot. Anybody, any dissent, anybody who dares to speak out against Israel or in support of Palestine, or suspended from the party, or indeed expelled from the party. But you know, this isn't playing well for the Labour Party electorally. You know, they are riding high in the opinion polls. That's true, but there are a lot of constituencies where they uh, are. In, in in danger actually of losing uh, parliamentary representation and indeed there was a there was a, a council a local authority uh, by-election uh, recently in, in, a, in a largely jewish community actually there's about 40 percent jewish community and labor got absolutely tranced in that constituency and uh you know it, it wasn't one of the the new left-wing um uh, groupings which are which are propping up all over the all over the country, and I mean, I've joined the Workers Party led by Georgia Galloway, a long-standing anti-imperialist and pro-Palestine uh, campaigner. But it was the Conservatives that benefited in this in this uh, by-election. So you know, a lot of people, a lot of the commentators, are writing off uh, uh, the chances of the Conservative Party at the next election. But you know, I don't, you know, they could indeed rally and, and may do better than what many people think but I mean, one of the points i've been making patrick that you know both in terms of uh, domestic policy and certainly international policy there is no choice in britain anymore there is no yeah. choice for the electorate between the labour party and the conservative party anymore, or indeed all the you know or any of the other parties really that, that are represented in the Houses of the parliament the SNP, to be fair the scottish nationalist party have been you know slightly more supportive of the uh, of the palestinian cause but on many other issues you know there is no really you, can't, you couldn't get a cigarette paper uh, uh, between them so our democracy has been stolen from us and uh you know what uh, that is resulting in is 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 a is a desire to create a you know an alternative vehicle um as i mentioned i've joined the workers party but there are other groups as well the trade union and the socialist coalition there is um a, a grouping in london the new uh independence they call themselves an area of london we saw indeed in another part of london in the tower hamlets uh, a couple of years ago now um Look for Raymond, um stormed the uh, uh, mayoral uh, election, uh, won it by a landslide, and uh, they also won a majority of the seats on the local authorities as well, with a new party in into Hamlet's court aspire. So these groupings are emerging, Patrick all over the all over the country, and the you know the anger which is being expressed towards the political class in the UK is is really palpable actually, as a result of the stance that they're taking on the Palestinian uh, uh, question we're seeing rallies you know all over the country in small towns not just big cities not just London obviously London we're seeing massive hundreds of thousands of people biggest ever rallies in support of Palestine that in the country's history some of the biggest rallies we've ever seen I mean rallies on a on a scale not quite as big as the anti-Iraq rally that we saw 20 odd years ago but you know not far short of that these are unprecedented times, but right across the country though, Patrick, we're seeing in, as I say in small towns and cities, people turning out to express their solidarity. And what is really also very troubling is the not only this disconnect between the political class that we've mentioned, but also the disconnect between the the, the, the mainstream media who are parroting you know, the Zionist lines and are uh, you know taking action against uh, pro-palestinian um uh acti- activists in terms of uh, you know writing you know uh, uh, sort of hit pieces against them and then we have the police um you know being mobilized really in the interests of 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 tel aviv it's quite astonishing mm. you know we're seeing people being arrested manhandled beaten by the uh, by the police for expressing their support for palestine it's quite astonishing you know just for displaying a Palestinian flag, for example, people have been uh, arrested. And indeed, there was a piece on in, a, in one of the alternative uh, independent media outlets called Dorset Eye, just yesterday, I think it was, um, that had an exclusive about a police raid on a pensioner in Cornwall by the Devon and Cornwall Constabulary. Um, and uh, four police turned up, arrested her, searched the house on the premise that she'd attached a... Um, a pro-Palestinian poster uh, calling out the local MP who's actually supported the genocide in Gaza. And they said, you would committed to this pensioner, you've committed criminal damage because she pinned a poster to a door. It's unbelievable, Patrick, we've never seen anything like this. It really is quite (laughs) astonishing uh, the, the, the way in which, you know, the state in Britain is mobilizing against the people on behalf of Israel. I mean, you know, our politicians are, elect to, are elected to represent the British people. Our police are there to serve the interests of and keep the, you know, the interests of the British people and keep them safe. In the media is supposed to be, you know, as it were, a, 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 a conduit, if you like, to to represent, although it's never really been that, but you know what I mean, to, as it were, uh, be a, a conduit for, uh, you know, mainstream British opinion on, on matters. But they're just all being run, it seems to me. By the Zionist lobby, by the Israeli uh, lobby, you know, uh, and you know, honestly, I mean, it, it, it's it's quite, <laughs> it's quite astonishing to to behold what is being happening. But you know, you know, people are not having it in spite of the attempts of the police and the media and their politicians. People are still turning out in ever bigger numbers every single week, and we're seeing that across the world, aren't we, Patrick? Not just in the global south, but right across the West, in the United States of America and Europe. And in Europe, as you know, Patrick, some countries have banned demonstrations in support of Palestine, banned demonstrations, and yet people are still turning out in their tens of thousands, their hundreds of thousands. So, you know, um, I think this year, you know, they say there's an uh, unprecedented number of elections taking place across the uh, the world. These politicians who were so out of touch, I think they really will pay pay a price. And uh, and certainly as far as the Labour Party is concerned, I mean, you know, I, I think, um it, it, it is, in, as I say, it's riding high in the opinion polls, but it, it's only because the, the Conservative Party is so despised. It's not because people, if you like, are have been convinced by the Labour Party. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's the, they see it, I think, as the least, uh, the, the lesser of two evils, although I'm not even sure that it is that. But we'll see. Anyways, these are interesting times in which we are living with the, um, you know, International Court of Justice, you know, the South African action which is being taken, which has inspired, you know, people around the world. The, action, the actions as well, uh, Patrick, you know, let's not forget um, excellent what South Africa has done. But let's also remember uh, and acknowledge the efforts of uh, uh, Yemen in actually mm. trying to provide some support to uh, to Palestine, to, to Gaza. And, you know, we've seen these um, airstrikes being launched by the U.S. and the, you know, the Poodle, the, the United Kingdom, uh, you know, the United States Poodle, as it were, um, killing people in Yemen. But look, there is no provision in international law for those airstrikes, uh, Patrick. But I think Yemen have absolutely a case in international law to take the action that they are doing to to uh, uh, you know, blockade their, their waters, uh, to stop Israeli ships and to stop ships going to and from Israeli uh, ports until such time, as they bring this uh, carnage that they are inflicting on the Palestinian people in Gaza, until so they bring that to an end, and there is provision, isn't there, Patrick, under the responsibility uh, to protect uh, doctrine, you know, uh, that Yemen are applying uh, uh, here. And 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 again, you know, the action that Yemen has taken, as far as I'm aware, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, I don't think they've killed anybody, unlike the United States and uh, and the UK when they struck uh uh Yemen with their with their uh, I- I- in my opinion illegal uh, airstrikes uh, you know a number of people were killed but you know it's just you know it goes back to the old colonial mentality the gunboat diplomacy uh, that we've seen you know over the uh, years that was you know deployed by well you know Britain and and the western countries and certainly the United States more more recently and uh People are, you know, seeing through this in increasing numbers and, you know, platforms like yours, Patrick, are so important, I think, to provide this alternative narrative to people. People are sick to death of our politicians, are sick to death of the propaganda that they are seeing on their uh, corporate media television screens. That's not to minimise that, they, obviously it does still have an, uh, you know, have, have an impact, um, but people are getting their information from alternative sources and they're increasingly recognising, seeing that what they're seeing on their television screens is totally out of step with what they're seeing on their uh, smartphones and on their on their laptops, from reports from actually on the ground. And and just to finally, uh, Patrick, in this part, anyway, for me, I know I've gone on for a bit too long there, perhaps, but uh, just in terms of Al Jazeera, you know, as one of the mainstream channels, has done an outstanding job, I think, of, of bringing the reality, bringing the truth uh, to people of, of what life is like for the uh, Palestinian people in Gaza under this appalling uh, onslaught from the uh, uh israeli uh, regime and uh, you know look the, the palestinians you know have suffered 75 years of uh, uh, of um, apartheid uh, they've you know we've seen 58 years of of a uh, an illegal occupation following the 1967 war and you know and gaza itself has been subjected to a, a blockade now since 2007. you know these things cannot be allowed to stand uh, for a moment longer in my opinion and uh, you know people are increasingly demanding Uh, policymakers or politicians actually do step up and actually start speaking out and and taking action, you know, in defense of human rights and taking action, actually, in the interest of uh, the people that they're supposed to represent. And, you know, what people actually want to see happening, because people's sympathy is increasing with the Palestinian people, not with the Zionist entity.
1: It is an extraordinary uh, time in history, Chris, because all these things you mentioned, uh, whether it's the protesters uh, in the UK, across Europe, across the world, uh, who are clearly coming out in record numbers. I've never seen a sustained anti-war protest like this in my life. Uh, it's absolutely incredible uh, for this issue. It surprised a lot of people, Chris, but they're coming out really also in opposition of genocide which is yes. regarded as one of the sort of highest crimes against humanity uh, imaginable, so much so that there was an international convention put into place after the Second World War for the express uh, purpose of preventing genocide from Absolutely. happening. And and it's always been a catch-up game with people trying to make cases, prove cases. It can be highly politicized as well as we've seen uh, in the past uh, with the West's kind of characterization of the Uyghur issue uh, in Western China. Uh, and also, there are uh, there are some questions around uh, the Bosnian genocide investigation as well, yeah. heavily politicized on the NATO side. That said, here we have. A, a textbook example, according to the uh, outgoing head of the UN Human Rights uh, uh, Commission, and a textbook example of genocide that's happening in real time, that there is no debate as to what people have seen. And you have governments and, and state agencies and police forces defending the genocide um, and going against people, protesting against genocide. So this has really warped our Western values, you could say, Chris, to a degree that is just, to me, astonishing. Uh, To me, it's astonishing that anybody can defend Israel at this point. And Yemen is basically defending UN resolutions. They're defending the Geneva Convention, and Yemen's defending the Genocide Convention. And they're enforcing it. They're sanctioning Israel. So, and their, their payment for that from the west is for the west to wage war against them i mean so the it's it's an extraordinary time in history chris and i'm just saying when is the penny going to drop will the penny drop because you've probably seen similar u-turns in history chris are we going to get a big u-turn coming up where it just becomes just unbearable for these people to hold this position what do you think
3: well, I mean, I think potentially, look, at the end of the day, I mean, my experience of being a parliamentarian for seven and a half years is that uh, all of them, uh, uh, always with no exception, are careerists. And I think when they feel that this is going to have an impact on what they perceive as a career, and I never, ever felt that being a member of parliament was a career, it shouldn't be when you start treating your role as a parliamentarian as a career then you start to make decisions on based on what's good for your career and uh, you know consequently you know you make bad decisions in those circumstances you know you're there to represent the people and just, you know to stand up for a you know particular political ideology that you know you've been elected to to implement as it were um, so i think that will 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 uh, potentially concentrate the minds of, of those some of those careers but i'd say a number of people are going to start losing their seats anyway so you know i think we could see a new cohort of people potentially coming into positions of, of power to become, you know, becoming policy makers. Um, and, uh, you know, that will, I think, help to turn things around. I mean, for example, the leader of, of my party, Workers' Party, George Galloway, well known on the international stage, is standing for the London Mayor, which is the most, you know, significant, important, uh, directly elected role in the country, really. I mean, probably the most influential role, you know, below the uh, Prime Minister, actually. And, uh know, uh, I think he's in with a reasonable chance of, of winning that. Um, you know, it's an international you know position, and uh, you know he will use that to great effect. It seems to me not just for the people of, of, of London and, and and you know in terms of those domestic policies, but also you know on on, on that international stage as well on on foreign policy uh, too. But just going back, you know, to to Yemen and you, you know you mentioned uh, you know the Geneva Convention and the uh, you know the the genocide convention that was, was put in place after the uh, war. I mean, Article Eight of the uh, of that convention, as I'm sure you you know, uh, uh, Patrick, uh, says a country you know is supposed to take action, you know, to prevent or suppress acts of, uh, of of genocide. This is what Yemen is doing. All the countries should be joining Yemen, not bombing them, for God's sake. Mm. It's absolutely outrageous that you know a country that is trying to stop a genocide, which is acting within international law, acting in the article of that genocide convention that was put in place. Let's remember in the aftermath. Of the genocide against the Jewish people, and then ironies of ironies, the nation, the country that claims to be the nation of the Jews, although many Jews actually, obviously, argue against that, as you know, is the country that is engaged in a genocide. I mean, my God, where are what has happened, you know, to the world? Talk about a topsy-turvy world. So, yeah, I think there is a reckoning, not that far around the corner. I mean, you know, I'm perhaps the eternal optimist, Patrick, but I, I, I do genuinely feel. But certainly what I'm seeing on my television screen in terms of those protests I'm talking about now and the, the strength of feeling, as I've said, not just in this country, but all over the world and not just in the global south, or in the, you know, in the uh, in the Western world, the so-called advanced Western world as well. You know, people are really sickened by what they've seen. And, you know, the scales, I think, have fallen from many people's eyes, you know. Um, and I just think that uh, think and hope. Uh, and believe that you know people will not will not tolerate and, and will tolerate this you know much longer uh, and we'll actually when they get the opportunity and you know when the elections come around uh, to 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 actually make some of these characters actually pay a price, pay an electoral price. So I think we have to be optimistic. We have to work to try and ensure that we use these uh, elections to uh, <coughs> excuse me to to make these these recalcitrant politicians pay a price hopefully the icj will 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 find the the nerve if you like you know the to do the right thing <clears throat> you know based on the evidence which the, which is unanswerable uh, and find against um Israel and find in favor obviously of, of South Africa's uh, um, uh, uh, indictment uh, that they brought against uh, Israel and um you know it will have significant consequences because Obviously, as you know from that, I think it goes to the uh, UN Security Council uh, to have that finding, that that ruling, that judgment um, to uh, in- be implemented, as it were. Um, and that might get uh, that might get um, vetoed by the United States of America. Judging by what we've seen when there's been attempts at the UN Security Council to get a, a ceasefire, we've seen how they've. They've used their uh, uh, their veto, as indeed, so as the uh, United Kingdom uh, have used their veto and uh, or, or abstained <coughs> Latterly, I think, when there's an attempt to get a, 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 um, a ceasefire resolution through there. But if that happens, then it will go to the UN General Assembly. And I think, you know, the votes are there for that. And, you know, Israel could be suspended from the United Nations mm. and uh, Palestine could be brought in as a full member. Of the uh, of the UN, and wouldn't that be a, a great thing? Um, there could be a, a, an international uh, criminal tribunal established to uh, you know to look at you know what the the crimes against humanity that Israel has has uh, committed. Uh, could be agreement on sanctions. All these things, of course, should have happened years ago, but we have a chance now, Patrick, for these things to actually you know be come into fruition. And then, of course, there is also the potentiality of further legal action being taken um, uh, for the way in which the United States, the United Kingdom, other Western European countries have been complicit in genocide. And there is provision in international law for action to be taken against those countries as well. And I think South Africa, again, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I, but I seem to recall uh, last week or the week before South Africa was talking um, about taking action, actually, uh, follow-up action, against the uh, the US uh, and possibly other countries as well. So so that's something I think that we should be uh, uh, definitely uh, encouraging. But one other thing I would say about international law is, where is the International Criminal Court, Patrick?
1: Mm, but, you know, the yeah.
3: International Criminal Court is a joke, actually. They issued a uh, an arrest warrant against Vladimir Putin for moving children out of a war zone to a place of safety. <laughs> I
1: know.
3: But there's no, so, no kind of, uh, equivalent uh, arrest warrant being uh, served for these war criminals who are, who are murdering tens of thousands of people and hundreds of thousands of thousands of children. What is it now? Eight or nine, 10,000 children? been
1: killed yeah yeah by. so around ten thousand have
3: completely you know been asleep at the wheel seems to
1: me it's unbelievable uh listen uh, i want to talk about the icc and i also want to talk about the uh, public relations blow that has been dealt uh the israeli propaganda machine which i know you've been covering very closely on your program with david miller um after the break i'm with chris williamson former british mp we are talking about the issues surrounding gaza the genocide palestine and israel how this is going to to reverberate through Western politics and indeed global geopolitics. All this and more on the other side. Stay with us.
4: When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines, ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs, healing, nurturing rescuing, honoring, protecting, caring, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes, across all missions, has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance.
0: Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. To learn more, visit nature.org today. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: All right. Welcome folks. Welcome back. We're in the final segment of the first hour here on this live broadcast on TNT. Today's news talk. Thank you guys for joining us. I'm with Chris Williamson, former British MP. He's also the host of a fantastic program, uh, which airs on press TV. Plus it airs globally. It's available on rumble. It's called Palestine declassified with David Miller's host This is a go-to program. We'll have a chance to talk to Chris about that before we break at the end of the segment. But Chris, you mentioned the ICC, uh, before the break the international criminal court now that's different from the international courts of justice which is a world court which is set up for countries uh to the actions of countries to be on trial or country versus country the icc can indict individuals and the british uh, barrister who's kind of in charge of the criminal proceedings at kareem khan as you said very dodgy uh, indictment of Vladimir Putin and another uh, Russian official over taking children out of the war zone. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, people have looked into that. The gray zone, as well, has done a great expose showing, debunking that entire uh, charge by the ICC. Um, but they will get up, they will likely, Chris, get a referral uh, from the ICJ. I think just the political force behind that is going to be unstoppable. It might be delayed. I'm sure the U.S. and and Israel and Britain will do everything they can to delay any action uh, on that referral, but it's coming. There's no way that it's not coming. There's a number of countries that are now building up that have just, you know, shown their their horror, their abject horror to what has happened. So that's coming, uh, Chris. It's just that the wheels are going to be a little bit slow, but once that emergency provisional judgment is made in the next days or weeks, then the complicity aiding and abetting Israel, those charges can then be filed by different countries. So that then opens the door for what you're talking about, Chris, the complicity side, and who's going to be at the front of the queue for that the United States and anyone else providing material support. Let's talk about that for a minute. And then I want to talk about the propaganda issue. Go ahead, Chris.
3: No, indeed. I mean, I think that is, it's, you know, that's a very, very important uh, point. Uh, I mean, and uh, you know, the ICJ, you know, could issue this kind of interim, kind of uh, cease and uh, desist order, um, which could lead to the kind of implications which I, uh, you know, referred to uh, earlier on, and then all the, you know, the, the consequential uh, issues in relation to uh, complicity and, and so on. So that is very, very significant. <coughs> Excuse me, <coughs> it's a very significant. Uh, moment in history and you know we shouldn't uh as it were underestimate indeed i think you know stories when they look back you know we'll you know we'll see uh this year as you know as a potentially really pivotal uh, year in the in the history of the of the world and particularly in relation to the uh middle east but uh no the ic uh c the international criminal Court uh, uh, unlike the icj um it, 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 you know that that goes after in indi- Icc this is you know individuals as it were and this is why the you know the um the West warrant was issued for for Vladimir uh, Putin, and uh, now they've they've been uh, they've been very poor, really. I think, and and really, did, and they've shown themselves up, frankly, to just simply be a, a tool of Western imperialism. The I, uh, you know, the International Criminal Court, um, and this is where the ICJ, you know, need to, you know, given such a powerful case that you know the entire world, you know, has seen this. I mean, it's the first time. It's kind of unprecedented. We're seeing a genocide unfold before our very eyes. Um, there's no, there's only one decision that they can make. You know, they they will lose com- any credibility whatsoever. I think if if they if they do not uh, find uh, against uh, Israel, so we're living in very interesting times. And that that you know that interim um, decision, you know, is is fairly imminent. I think. I mean, you know, it's not we're not going to have to wait years for that. I mean, it is, you know, it's it's uh, it will certainly uh, you know we're talking you know weeks or months certainly no no more. It should be sooner rather than later, given what's being. What's been happening uh, in in Gaza and continuing to uh, happen uh, in in Gaza, and, and indeed, you know, while the uh, while the uh, the hearing was taking place at the ICJ, uh, Israel was you know, doubling down with a massacre in Khan Eunice and uh, you know uh, stepping up its uh, its military uh, offensive. I mean, they you know they're absolutely shameless, and you know, I mean, I think the whole notion of a two-state um, Option is, is has been a dead duck for for many many years, but it's been dusted down by the uh, the United States and Britain and Europe, etc. But uh, um, Benjamin Netanyahu just showed his utter contempt uh, for <laughs> the United States, you know, their their biggest benefactor. Just gave them two fingers and said, "We're not going to have a a two state solution." So he said, he said yesterday,
1: know, Chris. He said, "From the river to the sea," to Benjamin, the sea, Benjamin exactly, Netanyahu. He's the, he, the phrase, he said, Patrick, he the
3: said, phrase "Patrick need to in can... Britain." Yeah, I'm going to say the phrase in Britain, where if you are, if you actually are chant that phrase, you're in danger of being arrested when it's referring to Palestine. But this is, you know, 5K okay for Benjamin Netanyahu to to, and when he's talking about it, what he's talking about is 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 ethnic cleansing, genociding the Palestinian people. Not, you know, not, I mean, I think, you know, the Palestinians, when they talk about, uh, from the river to the sea, they're talking about, uh, you know, a, um, a, 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 a a sort of unitary state, you know, where everybody has equal rights, as it were. Although yeah. h- how it will be, you know, our people who, who've been inflicting, you know, this genocide, I mean, and it's, you know, it's not just the Israeli uh, occupation forces that are guilty here. I mean, there's overwhelming support for what they're doing from the Israeli general Public and those those views have hardened actually over this last sort of few months, rather than going in the in the opposite direction. So it will be a challenge, I think. But yeah, incredible times, incredible times. And uh, so yes, we'll we'll uh, yeah. I mean, obviously we've got the presidential election coming up in the United States, and um, yes, I mean th- you know things could change radically.
1: The other thing that's key, Chris, uh, is you know, they did, South Africa didn't address this specifically uh, in their presentation last Thursday, but October 7th, what actually happened on October 7th, I know you guys have covered this at Palestine yes. Declassified, the Gray Zone as well, Max Blumenthal, others have done a great job, Propaganda & Co., which is a great account on X twitter they, they've exposed this, the, the and the Israeli press are the ones that have reported all of this, basically, that there was, quote, friendly fire. And it took the lives of potentially many hundreds of Israelis on October 7th. And then they lowered the numbers from 1,400 down to below 1,000. And then there's questions over combatant numbers and so forth. That, that all paints a very different picture. So I think the, the, the impregnable propaganda machine, Chris, the Hasbara machine, as it's known, uh, has yes. been dealt a severe blow. Because how important is that October 7th narrative? Because everything seems to be built Around that, go ahead. Final, it it final does, thoughts.
3: and uh, you know the the, the the corporate media constantly trot this out. Even now, even with the these horrific statistics from what we're seeing in Gaza, still they trot out what happened uh, on October the seventh. But they don't tell the full story that you've just alluded to there, Patrick. Uh, the overwhelming majority of people that were killed uh, on October the seventh were. Combatants and were killed by uh, the Israelis. Uh, they invoked the Hannibal Directive. More information is coming out about this now. The Hannibal Directive is essentially a directive which has been in place now for oh, 10, 10, 15 years, I think it is, to uh, essentially prevent any Israelis being taken hostage and to use maximum force, even if that means killing the potential. Hostages, because they don't want to get into a you know hostage exchange scenario. Bearing in mind that Israel has got thousands of Palestinian hostages on administrative detention, etc., in Israeli uh, dungeons, <coughs> and the idea of the October the seventh uh, uh, prison breakout, as it's been characterised, was to uh, was to take captives as as a bargaining chip to to get the thousands of Palestinians who've been on unfairly unlawfully you could argue um incarcerated many of them for many many years with no charge no no due process or or, or anything but on that day um and indeed some of the Israeli, some of the people that were there you know the, the eyewitness accounts have said that there was israeli tanks that were fired they they mobilized um uh helicopters and uh, there was um uh, there was uh, airstrikes from the from the air and many of the cars were, you know that were, were taken out with well all of the cars indeed that were taken out were taken out by uh israeli um airstrikes on the basis of preventing uh, israeli hostages being being taken and many of the other people that died would you know got killed in the crossfire uh when there were because there's many israeli uh military officials who were there i mean some of them were um you know uh, off duty soldiers but had access to guns and there was a there was a there was a firefight, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, you know so the Israelis killed most of those people on that uh, day. But look, why did October the seventh happen? As I've already pointed out earlier in our conversation, um, uh, Patrick, uh, you know Israel has been subjecting the Palestinian people to a, a brutal uh, apartheid system since it was established in 1948. Uh, brutal the, terrorism against that's the, Palestinian
1: the key point. People yeah you made and, the key so, point uh, right there
3: you know but we're gonna, any ha- we're gonna time have a liberation end. struggle anytime uh, any liberation struggle but regrettably there's going to be violence look i'm a pacifist actually my instincts are, are pacifistic but i understand why the october the 7th happened what what do you expect when you cage people in in a concentration camp uh in that way you know since 2007 uh, and and you know Longer than that, in terms of the oppression the Palestinian people have been subjected uh, to. We're going to have to what wrap it gonna up. Ha- We're going to have
1: to wrap it up, Chris. We're running out of time. But okay, uh, you, made, you, you made the big point at the end, which everybody needs to focus on. This didn't happen in a vacuum, not by no. any stretch of the imagination. Chris Williamson, thank you very much. Palestine Declassified. Tune into Rumble. Watch Chris and David Miller. Fantastic program. Thank you, Chris. Thanks,
3: Patrick.